This episode is brought to you by Regal Rollers. Regal Rollers are excited to announce their premier Sharp Edge Dice Kickstarter is now live until May 19th. Each set comes with seven polyhedral dice and a smooth-looking dice vault to keep them safe. All Regal Rollers dice sets are designed with exotic inclusions and mist injection techniques to capture an overarching idea, whether that is the might of the sea in the Riptide set or cosmic wonder in the Velvet Nebula set. Plus, their stretch goals will enable the purchase of standalone D20s or pairs of D6s, D8s, D10s, and D12s. So if you just can't decide on which set you want, Regal Rollers have got you covered. Be sure to check out Regal Rollers Kickstarter using the link in the show notes before it ends on May 19th. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 72 begins with a big problem for the PCs. They have come all the way up through the interior of the mountain, braving dangers ranging from the gigantic to the extraplanar. Then, at the final moment, they find their path blocked. Choices are few. They can risk the trapped floor once again and try to go all the way back down to the start, or they can use their ingenuity to figure out some kind of creative solution. While Harl goes off to test the magic mouth and see if he can find a way past the trap, the others set their minds to the task they come up with a possible solution, but executing the plan is no easy feat. Through teamwork, they prevail. The party does manage to find a new way out. Here's how they do it. Harl learns that the trapdoor only triggers for non-dwarves, and so he and Daz are free to travel back and forth between the Mushroom Cavern and the Forge, where they collect a number of iron hooks and hundreds of feet of chain. In addition, they use the Forge to smith certain necessary items. When they return, Umura levitates to the vent in the ceiling and connects all the hooks to the iron bars blocking the way. Now they need something powerful enough to yank it all free. Harl and Daz aren't strong enough to do it, but the waterfall is. They collect all the chain ends together and attach them to a giant hook. This is tossed at the water wheel, and when it catches hold, the barrier is ripped free of the vent, bringing hundreds of pounds of iron crashing to the cavern floor. With the barrier taken care of, the next job is to get everyone to the top. The ceiling is 200 feet above them, so Umura levitates to the opening once again and drives a metal spike into the stone. When that's secure, she hangs a special chain with space rings from it. This allows everyone to climb up. By the end of chapter 72, the whole party is gathered together in the vent, 
ready to find a way to the mountain's exterior and a new pathway to the summit. Chapter 73, Part 1, Day 100, Morning. Party Status Harl, 37 of 39 hit points. Gyrios, 30 of 37. Eridine, 17 of 20. Umura, 18 of 25. Daz, 14 of 17. Spells available. Umura has memorized Light, Shield, Knock, and Lightning Bolt times two. Gyrios has prayed for Bless, Resist Fire, Striking, and Cure Serious Wounds. After stepping over the broken stonework where the metal barrier had been torn from its moorings, the companions proceeded up through the vent shaft, which inclined noticeably. The hollow wind moaned as though despairing their approach, but the party members felt a surge of hope. Their plan had worked, and their chance of reaching the summit had been restored. After a time, they came to a wide junction. The tunnel branching to the left continued to slant upwards, while the other appeared fairly level. Harl sent Daz to do a little reconnaissance further down that one, while he and the others rested at the junction. Be right back. Daz returned after just a few short minutes and seated himself on the floor beside Harl. It stays level for a while and then descends to another set of bars. I'm pretty sure this one leads back into the mountain. Maybe to the forge. Makes sense. That means this other path must go to the outside, said Harl. Let's rest here another ten minutes and then go find out. I wish we had brought some climbing gear, sighed Daz. The way will be dangerous on the outside. We'll need to be careful with our footing. Climbing the mountain was never the plan, Daz. We'll just have to find a way to the top. I don't think we're too far from the summit. Harl closed his eyes and laid the back of his head against the shaft wall. He looked like he was sleeping, but Gyrios knew he was awake. Harl never looked this peaceful when he slept nowadays. The young chief's guess that the slanted tunnel reached the outside turned out to be correct. It didn't take long, perhaps just a half hour, before the hollow wind started growing louder, and then they saw a dot of daylight ahead that marked the end of the tunnel. The dot grew into a circle, and then they could make out clouds against a blue sky. Gyrios felt a welling up of emotion. It was as though he hadn't seen the sky in ages. In truth, it had not been more than three days. All the same, he unconsciously quickened his step, eager to be free of the psychological weight of the mountain that pressed ever down upon his thoughts. The companions entered into daylight like animals from a warren. They had to squint, despite the fact that the sun was not visible on this side of the mountain. This must be the west side, observed Gyrios, blinking. If we rest here, we should see the sun overhead before long. No resting outside, declared Harl. If we must stop, we'll have to go back inside the vent. 
It's too dangerous to remain out here any longer than is necessary. We are extremely exposed, practically defenseless. The others could not argue with this. They were not on flat land, far from it. It would take their full concentration just to keep their footing here. If anything were to attack them, they would be slow and unsteady targets. That does not look very inviting, said Daz. He nodded up towards the summit. Although the crowning ruins of the Egrigen were visible from here, it was a little hard to make out details. There was no path from their ventilation shaft aperture to the top, just a mixture of jagged rocky spikes and sheer vertical drops. No, not very inviting, echoed Harl. We'll have to cut straight across. Maybe even go down a little before we can find a path to the top. Eventually we'll find something, although the main road will be best avoided, and not just because it's on the other side of the mountain. He scratched his beard pensively. Well, let us look on the bright side. At least there's no dragon in sight. Eredin put a hand on Harl's shoulder and pointed laterally across the mountainous terrain. Harl squinted and, after a moment, saw what she was indicating, a faint line that scribbled and zigzagged all the way down from the summit. Sometimes the line went straight, but mostly it twisted, folded, and corrugated. Harl knew what he was looking at instantly. This was the path that ran from the Agogen to its shrine to Gruenmog. Every hold had something similar. Dwarvar had one that was little more than a goat path, whereas Thangar's was a proper road. Good eye, Eredin, he said, impressed by the woman's keen vision. If we can reach it, it'll take us all the way to the top. It's our best chance. Better by far than taking the main road. But the dragon could still see us, whether small path or wide road. There's no help for that, Umora. If we are spotted, we are spotted. And if that happens, we'll probably all be killed before we reach the top. We have to take our chances. Mazagar will help us to remain unseen. I will pray for his protection, intoned Gyrios. Prayers are good, to be sure. But you might want to throw your cloak over that silver shield of yours just in case. If it catches the sunlight. Good point, agreed the cleric, and he prudently swept his brown travel cloak over his shield. Tell me, he continued, how far do you think it is from here to the path? Hmm. Harl tried to calculate the distance. 100 yards, give or take. We're lucky to have emerged so close to the path, then, offered Gyrios. It's not luck, my friend. The path leads to the shrine, and the shrine shares the ventilation system with the rest of the interior. I would wager that the barred vent shaft Daz found leads not to the forge, as we first thought, but to the shrine itself. Or, possibly, it splits again and services both. Gyrios, who could never take his eyes off Eredin for very long, noticed that she was no longer looking in the same direction as the others. She was now looking in the opposite direction, into the sky, and frowning. He swallowed hard. What is it, Eredin? She didn't need to answer, for at that moment something broke through the distant clouds and winged through the air towards them. Gyrios paled. Mazagar's mercy, don't tell me the dragon has already found us. It seemed as though the worst had, in fact, occurred for the creature speeding their way was a bat-winged and reptilian thing from a nightmare. Umura had never actually seen this type of creature before, but she had seen pictures of them. Dozens of pictures, in fact. She used to have a wood-printed illustration of one in her own spellbook. By the way the monster corkscrewed through the air, by its snub nose, by its too long tail, there was not a doubt in her mind. This was no dragon. Goddess help us. It's a wyvern. Oh, ho, ho, ho. this sounds brutal. I like this podcast. 
Oh, er, hello. My name is Pira. I come from the Emberclaw Pride, which is in the realm of Talia. I have to travel around with a group called the D&D Apocalypse Tour. We were chosen by the gods to sort out everything that's wrong with the realm. The group consists of an awkward Medusa named Minove, who likes to blow things up. We've got a very annoying evil cat who I hate, whose name is Salem, and a rather strange turtle named Thal, who has these very weird prophetic powers. And I can uh, set myself on fire when I get very angry. So if you want to listen to our shenanigans, look for us, the D&D Apocalypse Tour, wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 73, Part 2, Day 100, Late Morning, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. Daz hefted his crossbow and pointed it at the distant shape. I can kill it, he sneered. You all get back in the vent. Maybe we should all get back in that vent, said Umura. Harl, these creatures are deadly, trust me. Harl was studying the serpentine path Eridine had found. His eyes followed it down, down, and then he exclaimed, Ha! Oh, I knew it! Right there! Umura looked to where he pointed. There was a rectangular shape in the rock that they had somehow missed before, perhaps because it was lower down on the mountainside, and they had been looking straight across and up. It was a stone door, maybe six feet tall, bearing a graven image of three intersecting triangles. It was the entrance to the shrine to Gruenmog, and Umura judged it to be no more than 60 or 70 yards away. We can make it, said Harl, full of the optimism Umura lacked. But we have to go now. Then lead the way, she replied. There was no time to think it through. No time to weigh the pros and cons. We'll follow right behind you. Harl started down and across the difficult terrain, slowing to navigate a rocky crease, hopping down to a natural ledge, and then, worst of all, trusting to luck and gravity as he slid 15 feet down a slanting sheet of stone with no handholds. As Umura had promised, the others were right behind him. At the bottom, they picked themselves up and hurried onwards. Every few seconds, one of them would look back to see the wyvern's long, twisting body growing ever larger in the sky as it drew nearer. Midway to their destination, the wind suddenly whipped up, blowing hard enough to pull beards and cloaks sharply to the side. The companions dropped low, desperately looking for some knob or outcropping to hold on to. Then, as quickly as it had come, it subsided to nothing, and the companions were able to press on. Now the stone portal was just 30 yards away, but the creature was upon them. It shrieked in victory, knowing its prey was trapped and vulnerable. We're not gonna make it! yelled Daz. Yes, we are! Don't give up! replied Harl, now sprinting across the pitched mountainside, kicking up rock and scree that clattered down and bounced off into empty air. Who's giving up? Daz yelled back, his voice resolute. Eridine, help me hold it off! He and the slender rogue let the others by as they flattened themselves against the rock wall and pulled free their weapons. Eridine had an arrow knocked in seconds, and she raised her bow just as the wyvern, 35 feet of draconic monster from tail to snout, reared back, snapping its bat wings wide open. Its tail was curled up behind it like a scorpion's, 
and Eridine had to dig deep for courage when she saw the six-inch bony spike that protruded from the tip. The wyvern's orange eyes burned, and it screeched in challenge just as she and Daz loosed their missiles. Wyvern is a creature that I imagine as three parts dragon, two parts bat, and one part scorpion. It's a mottled brownish-gray in color, and has glowing eyes of hellfire orange. It can deliver a powerful bite, but the real danger in facing a wyvern comes from its tail stinger, which contains a deadly save-or-die poison. As a DM, I'm very careful about introducing save-or-die situations. That's because as a player, I can tell you that I am plenty nervous about this one. The upcoming battle will not be typical, in that it is really only going to be between the archers and the wyvern. Their risk will allow the other three party members to reach safety. Umura will remain with the archers for one round only, before she dashes into the protection of the shrine and joins Kyrios and Harl. Here are the stats we need for the wyvern. It has an impressive armor class of three, and its seven hit dice will give it... 34 hit points. That's well above half, so no need to adjust that number. Wyverns get two attacks per round and, being described as extremely aggressive, have a morale score of nine. The party's goal here is not to kill it, but to hold it off long enough to get everyone into the shrine. Let's begin. Round one. Initiative. I'm granting the initiative to the party this round as they're beginning combat with weapons raised and already taking aim. Daz fires his crossbow. After its bonus, he needs an 11 to hit. A nine. His quarrel strikes empty air as an errant gust of wind pulls it to the left. Eridine releases her arrow. She needs a 13. A 19. That's our girl. Her arrow strikes the creature for... Two points of damage as it punctures a wing. Umura is up next. She casts her spell of light directly at the wyvern's glowing eyes. The monster will need to roll a 14 or better to save. Here's the roll. A 1. The creature is blinded and blares out a high-pitched roar of frustration. Now it flings itself blindly at the companions. I'll roll at random to see who is attacked. It's Daz. With the minus four penalty for blindness and Daz's exceptional AC, this might actually be the best case scenario. The wyvern will need a 15 to hit him. First comes the biting attack. An 11 misses. The creature cannot even find its target. Now the tail stinger webs out. A four. It smashes into the space between Daz and Eridine, leaving a diagonal line of ooze on the rock wall. Meanwhile, a short distance away, Harl and Gyrios have gotten the stone door to the shrine open and are heading inside. It's open! Let's go! Round two. The party. A three. The wyvern. A six. The wyvern is in a frenzy. It's flapping its wings, snapping at the air with its teeth, and relentlessly thrashing its tail back and forth. Its eyes blaze pure white from the effect of Umura's spell. Umura would disengage this round, but since the party lost the initiative, she's still vulnerable until after the wyvern's attack. Rolling to see who will be the target. A three on a d6, it's Eridine. With the wyvern's new penalty, it will need a 12 to hit the rogue's AC of five. Here comes the bite. A 14 hits. This bite causes two to 16 points of damage. Rolling 2d8. 
Ouch. Eleven points. The creature's maw locks on her left arm, almost wrenching the bow from her hand. She feels the impact and then wetness as the weirdly reptilian and bat-like face pulls away from her, leaving two gaping holes in her arm. Eridine is down to six hit points and she is in real trouble. That was bad, but what is to come could be worse. The stinger harpoons forward, trying to strike in the same place. Again, a 12 will hit. Oh, I rolled a five, lucky. Eridine jags to the side as the spike-tipped tail punches the air where she had just been. Round three. Harl again calls for them to come now that the door is open. Hurry up! Aradine! Daz! Get out of there! Having bought the necessary time, there is no reason to linger in harm's way a moment longer. Even Daz does not want to continue this fight. They'll try to disengage from combat and make for the safety of the shrine. I'll allow them to get away clean if they win the initiative roll. Here goes. The party. A two. The wyvern. A five. Not even close. The wyvern has keen hearing and senses their displacement. It will get one free attack round on either Eridine or Daz. A one on the die means it's Eridine again, and that is bad, bad news. The bite hits on a 12 or better. Here goes nothing. A two. Eridine drops into a roll, coming up running and avoids a second bite. Now for the deadly stinger. With just six hit points remaining, she is in real peril. The roll. A 19. Oh no. Before Eridine can lunge for the safety of the doorway, she is struck between the shoulder blades. Her back arches and her chest pushes outward as the bony stinger penetrates her flesh. She takes four points of damage and must make a save versus poison. For this save, Eridine needs to roll a 12 or better, and this roll is for all the marbles. Here we go. Oh my god. I've rolled a 1. Chapter 73 Part 3 Day 100 Late morning. Party status. The party status is unchanged, with the exception of Umura, who has cast her spell of light, and Eridine, who has been reduced to two hit points and has been poisoned. Eridine stumbled through the stone door and dropped her bow. Her left arm was a bloody mess, with one dark hole the size of a coin in the bicep and another in the forearm. Her skin had gone as pale as parchment, and her veins, now dark purple in color, were easily visible under the skin. She lurched drunkenly before falling into Gyrios's open arms as he rushed up to pull her inside into safety. Ergin. Her eyes stared through him, and she went limp in his arms. As Gyrios was laying Erdine's body on the floor, Daz crashed through the doorway. He was followed a split second later by the wyvern's tail that smashed against the frame. As it pulled away, Daz grabbed the stone door and hauled it shut, cutting off an enraged scream from the blinded monster outside. The room went dark. Umura fumbled for her lantern and pulled back the hood. The room they were in was a perfect cube, 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet of polished stone, with decorative pillars standing in each corner. There was an archway with a lancet top in the wall opposite the main door. 
It was flanked by a pair of alcoves, each one bearing an urn of tarnished silver. But everyone's attention was on Eridine. Kyrios had managed to stop the bleeding in her arm, but the rogue was unresponsive. Her eyes were glassy and sightless. Her breathing was alarmingly shallow, almost undetectable. Kyrios, hissed Eumora. The elixir! How had he not thought of it? Perhaps the shock of seeing his beloved Eridine this way had pushed aside every other thought. Yes, of course. He fumbled in his belt pouch and pulled out the potion of growth. His forehead creased as he put that aside and shoved his hand back into the pack, this time searching more desperately. Curious, you must hurry! The cleric's eyes were now wide with panic. He ripped off his belt pouch and turned it inside out, spilling a number of candles, a flint, and two flasks of oil onto the stone floor. But the Mithridaticum elixir was not there. Gyrios made a strange keening sound, and then his backpack was off too. He unceremoniously dumped the full contents onto the floor and started digging through rations, the bedroll, and other sundry items. No. Where is it? It's not here. It's gone. It's gone. It must be here. Help me find it. It's not here. It's not. Umura's eyebrows were shaped in a V. What do you mean? It's not there. Of course it's there. You've had it since the convent. She hadn't meant it to come out as an accusation. By now, the full reality of the situation had dawned on Gyrios, and he was blubbering. Saliva fell freely from his mouth as he whimpered and begged his deity for mercy. Aradine, no. No. No, Aradine. Not you, Masako. No. Gumura was going through the pile of Gyrios' belongings on the floor, as was Harl. Daz just watched, with a glazed expression on his face. Is she going to make it? He managed after a moment, but his question went unanswered. It really is gone, cried Umura. How is this possible? Because Umura was Umura, she could not help but add. How could you lose such a thing, Gyrios? As soon as the words left her lips, she regretted saying them. Oh, I, I didn't mean that. Gyrios, it's not your fault. But Gyrios barely heard her. He was in his own little world of agonizing loss, sitting on the floor with the rogue lifted onto his lap where he bent over her, kissing her face and sobbing. Nothing existed for him other than this woman as her life force diminished. He unselfconsciously cried and moaned as the light in his beloved Eridine's eyes went out and she died in his arms. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and would like to help support the show, there are several ways to do so. 
You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up a copy of One Shot in the Dark on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Sincerely, my thanks to everyone who has supported the show. Here's one of your great reviews from iTunes. This one was posted by Rich Cookie, 1983. Rich Cookie writes, I cannot recommend this podcast enough. Introduced to me by a good buddy of mine, and I've listened to all available episodes. I can't wait until another release. Combat has me on the edge of my seat, and I find myself groaning when they're failing their hit rolls. This is a wonderful concept, and John is doing a superb job of voicing the action, and has an amazing cast of voice actors he utilizes. Thanks for all you do. You are most welcome, Rich Cookie, and thank you right back. You're right about my voice talent. You couldn't ask for a better bunch. They add so much, I honestly don't know what I'd do without them. It wouldn't be the same, that's for sure. I'm also glad to hear that you find the combat exciting. Fast combat is one of the reasons I opted to go with BX D&D, despite it being a 5e world, and maybe not using the current edition will steer away some potential listeners. Anyway, I really appreciate your leaving that review. Thank you. I'd also like to give an extra large shout out on this episode to three very special artists who have enriched Tale of the Manticore and really just knock me out with their talent and generosity. To Justin File of the Keep on the Borderlands webcomic, to Simon Williams, and to Roland Diaz, I just cannot thank you enough. Of course, let's not forget Jared Grimm, who returns in his long-running role as the crossbow-toting Thangarian, Daz Augerstone. Find Jared on Twitter at CrazyDrunkenElf. For those of you who do use socials, you can find me on Twitter at Manticore Tale, or if you prefer Instagram, I'm at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com, where I post show notes, art, character sheets, maps, and other miscellany. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Roll and Tell is an actual play podcast with two players and no game master. A podcast where the adventure isn't prepared in advance, but created as you listen. Every character. I'm going to get a quirk for them as well. <laughs> They're chronically ill. <laughs> Friends, it is an eye. Every danger. You see a massive skeletal salamander. What is it that you even the worlds we explore are made entirely at random. The place of the noun, I love that template. The ring of the hand, you'd never want to leave. Massive fields of grains waving in the wind and rolling hills as far as you could see. And the story itself is improvised at the roll of the dice. So join us as we roll and tell.